to be trauma-informed, it's you must see each person individually for who they are. So when I yeah. think of the Enneagram, I'm like, this is fantastic because we are all, all our own, um, even within our type structure, we show up as an individual. The world around us is changing faster than ever. We hear people say, everything's a blur. And when we're living in our little self, a self in survival mode, a self that's living out what others believe we should do or who we should be, we compromise our joy. We put limits on ourselves and how we show up day in and day out. We believe we all have a big self and pursuing it is holy work. We also believe that most of us let fear persuade us not to pay attention to it. So we stay in this vicious cycle between fear and entrapment that keeps us playing small. But when we combine an insatiable curiosity to know our true self with the courage to share our innate gifts with the world, we get closer and closer to our big self. Today, I have the honor and privilege of speaking with Sharon K. Ball. She's a licensed professional counselor and mental health service provider, also a national board certified counselor and accredited Enneagram teacher through the IEA. And because of her background, Sharon has provided trauma response counseling for victims of mass shootings, hurricanes. She's been called upon to provide crisis intervention services during national and international disasters, such as the Indian Ocean tsunami and the Haiti earthquake. And as the founder of the Nine Paths Center for Wellbeing, a clinical counseling center located in in the Nashville region, Sharon provides informed trauma care to individuals, couples, and families. I think you'll find a lot of depth and insight in our unscripted conversation today. And you can find her book, Reclaiming You, using the Enneagram to move from trauma to resilience in our show notes. Sharon K. Ball, welcome to The Big Self Show. Oh, thank you for having me, Chad. Well, it is great to have you here, and I'm really looking forward to our conversation. So, and first, let's start with a question that we do like to ask all our guests, and that is, what does Big Self mean to you? Um, You know, for context and speaking about trauma and making some connections to the Enneagram as well, you know, and I know that the ego doesn't disappear. It remains at the functional center of our every everyday day-to-day lives and our and our routines. And transcending the ego does not mean destroying the ego. The small ego remains as this functional center of activity in our day-to-day life. And so in your interpretation, Sharon, what is the big self and what's the little self? You know, when you asked me that question, what what does the big self mean to you? The the phrase that came immediately to my head was fuller self. Hmm. 
And so almost like a bigger picture of who you are, a fuller picture of who you are, all the parts, all the components, every aspect of your life is the fuller picture, the bigger sense of self. Um, and, you know, of course, as a, a therapist, I try to integrate all of the person, not to compartmentalize or separate out the self, you know, but so that's <laughs> what I thought of immediately was when you said big self, I thought fuller self. Wow, this is just how could this encompass the fuller self, you know, when you gain knowledge about who you are, or awareness, yes. broaden, does this enlarge, you know, the space in which you can work with? Um, so that's. Well, I love that beginning, <laughs> the idea of integration, uh, the, the, and, and that's so true. You know, lately I've been kind of thinking about this um, Ken Wilber type of thinking where it's, when you evolve, you don't just like leave behind the previous, you integrate and you, and you transcend. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So, so we, we are going to still contain the little self when we're able to be in our big self. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So I, I like that. That's, that's a really, um, fascinating beginning point for us. Um, you know, and I've actually, I've heard you. So part of our discussion here, it's, it's related to your work in trauma and it's related to the Enneagram, which is the intersection that your, your new book reclaiming you covers that territory. And I've heard you use the expression, uh, the Enneagram finds you. And I recently talked to, um, we recently had Ginger Lapid Bogda on yes. the show yes. and she loves to say that. Yes. So, um, so my question for you is how did the Enneagram find you? Yes. Oh, I love Ginger. Yes. She's been my mentor for many years. Oh, cool. Um, it actually found me when I was beginning my recovery um, from a traumatic um, season in my life. And, you know, as we were talking about integration, it mm -hmm. is key for um, all of us who've experienced uh, traumatic experiences or, or situations to integrate your trauma, right? Trauma integration. So figuring out. So um, I think how it found me was I was at a place where I was financially just destroyed, um, mm. relationally destroyed, spiritually destroyed, um, and felt just at a complete, I guess the word that comes up right now is I, I felt very naked, you know, exposed. Mm -hmm. And as a three, you know, um, for me as a three, that is a very painful, vulnerable experience. Um, meaning that right. everybody knew what I was going through. There was no place to hide. Um, what had happened to me was just very much out in our community. And I think this is my experience as a three. Whenever I have reached a rock bottom is when I grow the most, <laughs> And so I had been working with the Enneagram a little bit in my practice from some um, experiences I had with Richard Rohr training uh, from a spiritual context years 
prior. Mm -hmm. And uh, I just needed to get to a place financially back on my feet. And I had several executives that I was working with in counseling say, you know, this is great stuff. I would love for you to bring it to our team. Um, can you, can you do what you do in your office with our teams? And I thought, gosh, I mean, surely if it works individually, it's got to work in a team environment. So I Googled, this is how it found me even more. So I Googled (laughs) Enneagram in business and what popped up was Ginger's certifications. Um, and so, you know, then it took me even into, um, you know, first it was, I need to financially get stable again, you know, and learn more about what, you know, what I need to work through. And then how do I bring this to a business environment? Because as a psychotherapist, it's a different world when you um, take what you know in psychological terms into a business environment. So I needed to mm-hmm. learn. I needed to learn a lot about business and um, and about how I was going to show up in that type of work. Uh, so that was kind of my journey. So when you you mentioned, there's a, I have a lot of curiosities sure, from what sure. you just talked about, but from when you mentioned as a three, it requires you to hit rock bottom. Is that because threes have that denial of failure and the image management? Is that what you're it, talking it about be. there? Yeah, it could be for, you know, for me, it was in my, my own personal life, everything had to be stripped away. Everything that I was trying to strive for Mm -hmm. and work towards was being um, taken, you know, flattened, you know, (laughs) it was not working out. And um, I, can you share with the audience a little bit, any details about what that was? Yeah, I went through a very complicated divorce um, Mm. where businesses were involved and um, community was involved in a a very big way. And so it was very, for me, um, like I said, there was no place to hide. So even in my grief, I had to either get with my grief and get real with it and not, you know, push past all of these feelings that I think threes tried to avoid because it's going to get in my way, you know, (laughs) and (laughs) everywhere I turned to put my energy into, which is away from the grief, right? It, it was falling apart. So there was nothing there for my energy to move towards. Um, And again, remember, my energy moving towards something was away from something very key, which is grief and the needing to heal by moving through grief was very painful. Mm -hmm. I was not going to sit with it. And what made me sit with it was everything was door closed, door closed, door closed. So it forced me to sit. Well, I can't imagine that sounds like a, a really difficult time of, um, of life. And, uh, I'm, I'm sure. And I guess you've all, you've, you already, like you said, had that background of working in trauma. Here you are going through your own. I'm sure that, yes, there was this kind of going through a fire and, uh, coming out on the other side. Uh, I've also, you know, along these lines, I've heard you talk about how you you see the world through a trauma lens mm-hmm. and 
a hopeful lens. Um, could you tell us just about how you're able to see through both of those lenses at the same time? Yeah, Chad, you know, again, I pull from just what I've experienced, you know, mo mm -hmm. my journey is going to be different than others, but I do find it similar in the midst of understanding that I was going through a very traumatic situation and parenting three kids who are going through their own individual experiences of it. Um, I would see glimmers of hope along the way. And um, mm -hmm. even though I had to close my practice for about a year because ethically it was not respond, I was not being responsible to care for others if I was in such a hard place. Right. Mm -hmm. So but it was my clients as I was moving through the process um, and I, and after I got further along in my journey, it's just like everywhere I look, there is a silver lining or there is hope or there is some beautiful something that comes from a very tragic um, story. And I get to sit in my chair every day and see people from all walks of life different backgrounds who are going through pretty hard stuff. And yet there there's this strength that they come in with. There's just something good, right? There's something yeah. good there. So for me, it's yes. If I see through a trauma lens, it helps me move towards people, connect with mm. people. I okay. see them. There is a heart there that has been wounded in some way. I may not know what their trauma is, but I at least something. So it softens my heart. And then it gives me hope, you know, the, that I do believe that the world can be good and kind. Um, I can, I see it every day when I walk into my office. Wow. And you saw it in your own life. And, oh, and yes. I, and uh, I, I bet that that has to do with some of the resiliency that you also help guide them to, and also, you know, have written about in your, in your book. Um, let's see. And, you know, well, one thing, I think you are the perfect person to talk with about this with trauma, you know, um, I think on the one hand, it's uh, a subject that feels taboo or uncomfortable for people to talk about. They don't know, they don't want to offend. They don't want to say the wrong thing. They just, they're there. And then on the other end of the spectrum, there's all this like almost casualness with the terminology of um, I've been, you know, you know, trauma bombing at work, like you hear about and, and people all, and also there's victim consciousness mm -hmm. around that. So I'm curious, like, can you, and, and, and I think very importantly, we, we sh would be remiss not to talk about big T and little T mm -hmm. traumas. So my question yeah. is just, could you tell us a little bit more about how we can discuss trauma with more familiarity and comfort and, and maybe discernment? Yeah, definitely. And that's such a great question. So I, all of us experience on some level stress, you know, um, and stress actually can be a good thing. You know, it can give mm -hmm. us a little shot of adrenaline, a little dopamine, you know, it, it can actually be good and helpful. Um, you stress, right? Yes. Yes. Um, stress will eventually go away, you know, stress, stress, you can manage and it, and you can calm the waters. Then we, you know, 
I, I like to look at stress, little t and big T traumas to help me discern what might this person be going through. Mm-hmm. A little t trauma is not going to involve um, a perceived threat to yourself or to someone in close proximity. Um, it could be a perceived or real threat, physical threat, which might include, you know, um, those are the big T. Well, little t's do not include a perceived or actual threat to physical self. So a a divorce um, that is not complex in nature or doesn't have any type of domestic or intimate partner violence, right? Um, It could be a car accident that does not have any, like a rear end, you know, where it's a jolt and you're stressed for a couple of weeks, but then it goes away. I would put Mm -hmm. that in there. Okay. Um, Big T traumas will involve, you know, a perceived threat to safety self or an actual threat. So your natural disasters, hurricanes, um, tsunamis, tornadoes, you know, if a tornado is in the vicinity of your neighborhood and you're in your, um, you know, bathtub and you can hear it going by, it's a perceived threat and an actual threat to self depending upon where you're at with your your experience with a natural disaster one might come out of that just feeling stressed but a child might experience it more traumatic right or if someone has lost someone to a natural disaster then it could it could impact their experience of that perceived threat so even in that example the nuance <laughs> And the multiple variables that go into even, um, I don't I, I don't like to use the word diagnosing, but even mm-hmm. in understanding if someone is experiencing a big T trauma, little T, or stressor, you have a lot of different variables that factor in that. The one, though, that I want to make sure that is delineated between the big T and little T is a perceived threat um, or an actual threat to self. Uh, that is one thing that can help us filter through. Because, so there's a subjectivity in it and you're saying like, uh, just because it was a perceived threat and that could be traumatizing. Yes. I mean, well, I mean, I can see that like, I mean, a soldier on a battlefield could be perceiving that he or she could be under fire at any given moment. Yes, or even a, a soldier that's in combat, a combat zone, but is not out in the field, but is hearing bombs or 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 gunshots further away is a perceived threat, right? Um, they might not even be in action. And yeah, I mean, there's all kinds of different things. And I think you, you named some of them on the back of your, your book, um, a pandemic, addictions, natural disasters, sexual assault, there's many different kinds of, Mm -hmm. but so are you, and you're saying that these can be little T's or big T's? I think when you look at, see, this is where it's fun for me. It feels like a um, puzzle. Whenever Mm -hmm. someone walks into Mm -hmm. my office, it's like this great puzzle that I get to help them figure out where the pieces where do you put them in so that they can see going back to that fuller picture, right? That bigger self, <laughs> the beginning, yeah. but um, 
So we look at the different variables. We look at the family history. Um, and I do want to comment on like verbal, yeah. emotional abuse uh, as a physical abuse of a child will elevate the traumatic experience if it's coming from a, a caregiver. So you can only imagine a child being screamed at or being told horrible names. That is a threat to self, right? Yeah. So that type of abuse escalates, especially with our littles, because it has a huge impact on how they perceive life and, and how they view who they right. are. Um, so I think it's wise to take into account um, the person's entire history, their um, race, gender, all of the intersections that happen, you know, uh, when a traumatic experience is upon them. Well, it sounds, it does sound like, I mean, from, from the perspective of one trying to not diagnose, but to, there are a complex array of factors. When did it happen? Um, and, and that you're putting all these things together. And of course, of one filter that is important, and I think gives us a lot of data, is, is the Enneagram that you're talking about. Um, I also recognize that there are times where you say, look, before we go into the whole Enneagram thing, a lot of people need to resolve their trauma. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And and how, how do you go about that? Let's say you're working with an adult um, or a young, a young adult, just some, someone who's kind of progressed out of um, maybe the adolescence and they've got the trauma they have. Do you, do you just go, no, I don't think you should, <laughs> you should worry about the Enneagram because it could do harm or how does that work? Sure, sure. So my baseline is to always do what I call it, uh, it. It's a genogram. So it's a family history of the person. We go back four generations, wow, identifying okay. trauma, even intergenerational trauma, yes. trauma that could have been passed down through generation. We're looking at a whole scope of it. Um, I look at the sociocultural elements that um, this person might have as well. And, um, you know, we, if they come in and they're wanting to learn about the Enneagram and they say, Hey, this is my type. Okay. I'll go with it. Right. But okay. I'm also teaching them to be trauma informed, especially if they've alerted me, alerted me to a recent trauma. Um, and recent could be as recent as two to five years. <laughs> you know, sometimes those trauma feedback loops are in continuous, you know, they, they just go and they go. My job is to help identify the patterns. So mm. I'll say something like if we've been in session and they're still holding true to maybe let's say type nine, right? Yeah. Here, here's something I'm noticing. I'm noticing that, um, you know, rumination seems to be a behavior. You know, you're thinking, you're thinking, and you go immediately into planning. Okay. Again, I'm not set on they're a nine or a six or a three. <laughs> I'm just listening to patterns that fit for trauma recognition. You know, what are the, the behaviors that come out of a traumatic experience that are typical for all of us? So rumination could actually be typical for every type. Right. If they've had a traumatic experience. 
because when we look at the brain health part of it, you might find yourself overthinking, flashbacks, um, memories coming up. That is possible for all types. Does not mean it's a six. So I really try to educate them first on what is norm for trauma. You know, what, what, what are normal behaviors for someone who's been hurt so deeply, wounded so deeply? Um, does that make sense? It does. And it's really, it's fascinating territory. Like, I don't know how far we can go. Some, some of the questions I'm, I'm wondering, like, is it, and I know this is a pretty naive question, but is it almost, is it harder or easier with certain centers of intelligence um, to, because of how they might process pain? Like, I'm almost wondering on the emotional level, would it be easier, easier uh, to work with um, a heart type because they're going to really access their emotions than maybe a, a body type where the pain's going to be more in the gut. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. It, it, I, you know what, Chad? I really, this is what fascinates me about, um, you know, integrating the Enneagram work with trauma recovery because trauma to be, trauma-informed, it's you must see each person individually for who they are. So when I yeah. think of the Enneagram, I'm like, this is fantastic because we are all, all our own. Um, even within our type structure, we show up as an individual. So you marry that that together. And I think you have something where the three centers can be used in a powerful way. And we talk about this in the book, the three M's, you know, um, the body, right. Um, meaningful connections, which is meaningful connections is, well, hold on. I'm going to, I'm going to get ahead of myself, meaningful connections and, um, mindfulness. So movement, meaningful connections and mind mindfulness for those who've experienced trauma and are in their recovery, the body, no matter what type, this is my personal opinion, mm -hmm. the body center is key for movement because trauma is a somatic experience. It's what happens in your body and it mm -hmm. stays in your body. It lodges in your body. So some of the best work I've seen individuals do has been almost using the body center as like a portal, so to speak. Um, to ground them, you know, wherever the trauma lies in some um, place of safety, and then to, to just get moving. And that movement can look different. It's like moving the energy, the, the, the tough stuff around, you know, is it lodged in the shoulder? Is it achy in the legs? So helping people identify that, I think it also takes the pressure off of the brain when, hmm. when the experience becomes, I say to my clients, the brain literally gets hot. It's, it's too much. If you're in that thinking space and you're ruminating and you're going over the scenario over and over and over, it's going to light up your brain. You know, it, it's, it's a lot. So if you can get into movement, you can cool your body off. Wow, that's a thought. That, that, that's um, that's fascinating. And I mean, your your book. So, just to like, I love the way that it's arranged, where you have a case study 
and and then you you filter this through uh, the array of different possibilities with the types and then especially it's really cool how at the end you have all of these practical applications and you do almost you you sort of like this is good for all all three centers or yes. maybe more for a couple of centers of intelligence yes. So yes, your book definitely does address those things. I actually, I don't know if I've covered this one. Uh, there is this, this idea of um, ego strengthening sometimes that we've, um, you know, I've, I've learned about. I've only had one client that I thought might need that. And um, that person didn't stick with it long enough. But that idea of when you're traumatized for a long period of time, um, you almost just don't really have a number and you almost need to reconstruct mm -hmm. what that ego was. Do you, do you come in, do you come across that experience that very often or? Well, I mean, the, yes. So if you can imagine maybe the array of traumas around the world that people have experienced, and, and just kind of put yourself in their shoes. You can only imagine how, you know, beat up you might feel, so to speak, your, yeah. your whole self, you know, like just yeah. anywhere you turn, you just can't catch a break. Right. Um, yes. And so, yes, oftentimes I have clients and I've experienced this where, you, you know, you walk, they walk into my office and they are, they feel like they've been completely flattened. Mm -hmm. um, as they begin to do their work, I think this is where the heart center, um, when we looked at the three M's, meaningful connections, this is why coaches and counselors, parents, teachers, when you're um, walking beside someone who's in, who's recovering from something traumatic, it's a meaningful connection. It's me offering to that person who's sitting on the couch I'm in this with you together. We're, we're, we're in this together and I'm going to mirror co-regulation. I'm going to mirror how to regulate around this traumatic experience, your body, your heart, and your mind. Like we're going to do this together. <laughs> Helping with the integration. Yes. With the balancing of the centers. Mutual power. You know, we both have power. We're, we're mutually um, on the same level. You know, I don't see you any less. Mm. You are not broken. You are amazing. You've been hit some hard stuff, but we're in this together. And I think as, as the person leans into and, and allows you to carry some of that weight for them, you eventually, you know, I say um, in my practice all the time, let me just, if you don't believe right now, let me be that belief for you. And then you'll get your own belief back, you know, because I believe in you. Like mm -hmm. we are going to get through this. I am not going to leave you alone. We are in this together. And I think that helps build that strength. And then of course, man, when you look at the resilience traits of each type, if a person can begin to integrate their trauma and, and come to a strength, a stronger sense of self, um, then you can see some of the resilience traits, you know, that are already there. You can help bring those out. Or sometimes I see it even in the recovery process, Chad, that they don't even recognize the strength that they bring to the table. Um, 
And, and I think that's sometimes how you can help identify type um, as they're moving through things. Wow. That's, that's cool to think about. I'm, I'm, let's, you know, it sounds like you're doing a, that, that sounds like it would take a lot of empathy and a lot of energy. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it, it does strike me too, that, you know, you've done a lot of work in the space of diversity, equity, and inclusion. How, how did that work find you? Mm, that did find me. <laughs> that found me when I was, um, gosh, you know, I think I was 23 years old when I started uh, with Child Protective Services out of Arizona, uh, state of Arizona. And um, I worked in South Phoenix and had to really... Um, really understand the cultural differences um, that my, like, that's where it started, um, was that early on experience. I knew there was more to this. And then about 10 years ago, um, a good friend of mine, Clifton Harris with the Urban League of Middle Tennessee reached out to me. And um, we just started doing some work together because in Nashville, we had some projects and I found myself, um, this would have been 10, 15 years ago. This is a good question. It's making me look back at my timeline. Um, <laughs> smack dab in the middle of um, DE&I. And I was, I mean, I, I'm a trauma person. I'm not a DE&I. However, I kept being asked to do this uh, work together with him. And mm -hmm. I, I, I say I do DE&I only through a trauma lens. I'm not okay. your typical DE&I consultant. Um, it's seen through the lens of my um, trauma work. And, it's, and because there is a lot of trauma and I would think chronic stress and, and trauma being experienced with just being yes. on the other end of racism. racism. Yes. yes, racial trauma and... I, I guess because I just so believe that when people understand trauma and they begin to resolve their trauma, they will um, see people in a different light and it will connect them to each other. And um, if you can understand what race, racial trauma is, that every day by the sheer color of your skin, you are being consistently judged and and um, oftentimes, you know, verbally abused, mentally abused, physically abused, you know, because of the color of your skin. Or the fear, the per perceived yes, fear. Yes, just walking outside your door. If you can view that as a trauma, I just say to myself and those in the room, how could you not, you know, want to do something about this? How could you not want to change your own behavior? Mm -hmm. um, this is considered big T trauma. Um, and in in the psychological term, it's an insidious trauma, you know? Uh, so yes, I love doing that kind of work, um, but it is through a, the lens of trauma. Yeah, It's important work and not easy work. And you're doing it. You're, you're leading the charge. You've, you've been through a, a, some fires yourself. So I think that that adds to your, uh, authenticity about it. And I'm, I'm sure it's, 
as an Enneagram three or anyone, I'm sure that that is, um, can be challenging. Um, but, uh, I'm, I'm really grateful for your time sharing this with us, Sharon. Um, there's a lot of directions we can keep going with it. Um, your book is, it just strikes me, um, reclaiming you that you co-wrote with Renee Siegel. And it just strikes me that this is, it's the very first time I heard about it and, and then pre-ordered a copy. I'm like, this is an important contribution to this Enneagram literature. So good job. Everyone needs to check out this book. I, I hope it's doing well. Um, are you, have you got some workshops? I hope so. Yes, I do. I'm working on an introductory certification course for, um, you know, Enneagram uh, mental health advocates, and that'll be launching in August. And that's for everyone, you know, just your basic um, <laughs> psychological first aid and what to do, which could be anyone and everyone. Um, well, tell everyone just, where, yeah, well, tell, I'm sorry to interrupt you. I yeah, tell everyone where they can learn more about Nine Paths, your book and, and this um, certification process. Sure. So um, you can learn more about um, what we do with DE&I through ninepaths.com. Okay. And um, as far as the introductory course, you can find that at my site, SharonKBall.com. And the book right now, Amazon, it'd be great uh, for you to pick up. I, I want to do a shout out for my clinicians um, and coaches. I think this is something you could keep on your bookshelf and pull out and refer to. Um, it's packed full of not only neuroscience, but Enneagram um, information that I find very helpful even in my practice. It's totally a resource. Yeah, it's not, it's, it was, it's hard to read all the way through. It's one of those things you, you need to re-pick it up uh, at times when you, when you need it. Um, what a, what a great contribution. And yeah, thank you for sharing of your time and energy with us on the Big Self Show today, Sharon. Thank you, Chad. This was fun. Thank you. We are all about big ideas and how to integrate them to live a more sustainable life, to open up your learning, level up your self-awareness and consciousness and move from surviving to thriving to flourishing. And I think what Sharon Ball is helping us to understand today is that you can take your failure as an opportunity to open up become more vulnerable, more open to learning and humbly starting again. Sometimes if we're honest with ourselves, we don't allow ourselves to get to these points of openness and honesty until we face a crisis of one kind or another. And you know, so long as we do end up getting there, learning the power of reinventing ourselves and the joy that comes with it, we should cut ourselves a little slack. At Big Self School, we track your success one stage at a time, from awareness and waging truth with yourself and taking radical responsibility for your life to connection and learning the building blocks of trust and empathy to more deeply connect with others to 
action and seeing your courage take flight and working through areas of resistance and unconscious fear. And finally, to wellness and developing sustainable approaches to your life to maintain a healthy and whole existence one day at a time. Reach out to us to learn more at Big Self School and book a discovery call. We have the link in the show notes. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of The Big Self Show.